0: clarify, just to clarify, just to clarify, not last. Sorry. Please understand the sentiment of what I'm trying to exp- uh, express there, not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jerry. <Gary. laughs> Quick, Pastor Bill, get up here and give him a joke or something. All right, so um, we've, over the last several weeks, been, um, been talking about this topic of, of what it means to steward heaven, and I'm going to quickly give a background because I I cut my notes off at five pages. Uh, So I just stopped. And if you know me, you know that until about six months ago, I didn't even take notes. I didn't use notes. um, And I still really don't. It's just that he's talking so fast. I I finally determined that I was just being a poor steward if I didn't start writing something like that. It's it's the weirdest thing I've, I've ever seen. It's not so much that I really... Just not this. World. It's almost like if you, if you decide that you're going to prepare this meal for 30 or 40 people and you've only got two people there, if you don't freeze some of that, you know, you've done something wrong. You can buy a trade case, you know, but you're probably not going to eat 30 White Castles at that meal. He started a couple weeks ago with the idea, first of all, of of understanding that everything is measured to His presence and everything is measured to hunger for Him. And there's a couple things that we're going to redefine this morning, I think, and we can get to that. Um, But I need to say this up front um, so that we can once again understand that everything we do is measured that, that is the point of everything we do, is Him. And guarding our hunger for Him with jealousy is the most important thing we can do to steward wisdom. As soon as we get more interested in the results than in Him that brought the results, we've missed it. in the results and start reading the press clippings of what God has done and not being as hungry as they were before he did. And the reality of it is, I didn't know this was possible, but I've actually found a place that I am in the midst of the greatest outpouring and visitation I've ever personally or corporately experienced. See, in the natural, we eat, we get full, and it satiates our hunger. In the Spirit, the Bible says He gives bread to the eater, not bread to the hungry. Now, I know that kind of messes with people because they say, well, yes, you do have to stay hungry. Absolutely, but only in the Spirit do you get hungrier by eating. It actually is something that when you him and eat and taste of the things that he gives, only by that is your hunger stirred because complacency will cause you to lack in hunger, and in doing so, it emaciates us spiritually to the point that we wither away and ultimately die, spiritually speaking, because the scripture says very clearly, and this is this is where we turn the corner, okay, we actually get to be a people that he provides those that eat, and then our immediate response is considerate, compassionate, x, you know, plus, plus, plus people, we say, well, what about the people that are hungry and have a taste of it? I'm glad you asked. Because the job of those that operate in an abundance of bread is to give bread to those that don't have it. What does he say? When you have two coats, you give one to your brother. So it is the lifestyle of abundance. See, this is where the church really, really got messed up. I don't know if you even uh, saw this. Some of you might have. But um, has anybody ever heard of Benny Hinn? You may have heard of Benny Hinn. Um, you know, if you haven't, just use the phrase, he him up, he him up. And you'll know exactly who Benny Hinn is. You know, the guy that, they, the guy that uh, knocks people down with his coat on TV. Um, God bless him. That guy has been rocking the phone over for a lot longer than our president. in the other said that he has for about the last 10 years has stopped flying private planes which this was the guy that said that this was the guy that was part of the conversation that said that you should fly private planes because you you, shouldn't, if you're a minister of the gospel you don't want to be on um, a commercial airline with all those demonized, pilled out, drug people that's exactly that's a guy who gets it at the heart level doesn't he that's compassion Church has seen abuse of a prosperity message. And here's the deal. It nothing to do what we're talking about tonight, But here's the deal it's about abundance. He hasn't told us that we're to have more than we will ever need so we can grow our bank accounts. He's told us that we will never be in so that we can give to people out of our abundance. What happened with the woman that only? So that she can make her and her son a meal. She gave to the prophet first and she was never without. There's that measure. So as he gets to us in his presence and as he pours out to us who he is, it is our responsibility to not become a lake, but to be a river. That's the way this is supposed to work. It is you want to know how God is going to change our culture? of living water flowing out of you. That's how that the culture. People are going to come and they're going to drink and they're going to say, This is what the water is like. like And in doing so, that changes things. And at that point, we're not being interested in influencing culture, we're just learning how to work those. So this morning we're going to look at the last portion of this study and I Would you do me a favor? Would you mind taking that off the wall for me? Yeah. That way it doesn't mess with me. It's not your guys' problem. It's my problem. I've been stuck in religion. that says I have to be done by now. You may not be. But I have been told that I've got to get you guys to Pizza Hut by 12:15 12:15 for fine Italian dining. When when Pizza Hut becomes fine Italian dining, you know you live in Greencastle, Indiana. I can tell you that right now. Thank you so much. So um, we're going to talk this morning about the um, the idea of Zacchaeus, and specifically, what I'd like to talk to you this morning about is within this idea of stewarding heaven. We we've, we've mentioned this five different uh, in five different. Uh, teachings, But number one, it is about His presence. It is about hunger for Him. That's what we have to have. We have to have Him. As a result of that, the second thing we talked about was signs. And that literally what signs are, are signs are things that point to Him. So, when we start seeing signs, wonders, and miracles, literally uh, Thursday night, I think we had two or three things that were just miracles that the Lord had done that were shared during testimony time. People, I've actually gotten messages from people, a pastor from Africa, to contacted me, that he was healed while watching the Facebook live deal in Africa. Yeah. So I'm not at all saying that that's 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 not the pinnacle. That's not like it's not like okay, you know, it's like George Costanza. We've hit the high note. Time to go home. That's not it, but the reality of it is, we have to know those kinds of things are going to become more and more frequent, and as I shared with you on Thursday night, the reality of it is... of people, when they walk through the door and cross the threshold, they're just delivered. That's just going to happen more and more and more and more and more. And um, that kind of thing has been a semi-regular reality for us for about the last year where it's been probably a or monthly you've seen miraculous things. we had multiple times of people that were healed. In fact, there was um, um, somebody when Tasha were in France we saw somebody that we prayed for that was going in for Surgery, they had a detached retina. And they were going in for eye surgery. We laid hands on him and he had a patch, you know. Um, and so he didn't um, you know, it felt like something had happened. It felt weird, but he didn't want to mess with it, you know, because it was all bandaged. So he goes to the eye doctor the next morning for the surgery, they take the patch off and he can The Lord healed the detached retina with the patch still on, that kind of stuff is just going to become normal. I don't know if you remember the story Bev uh, shared that Scarlett, our little ones, and Scarlett prayed for Bev, and that night the Lord came to Bev at home with multiple broken ribs and major injuries from falling, and the Lord prayed for her and I mean, this kind of stuff is just going to become normal. However, here's the point. Those are signs and wonders, miracles. reality of who He is. So a sign over the door that says exit, that sign is real, but if you stop at the sign, you never understand the reality that that sign is pointing to, which is the other side of the door. He is what's always on the other side of the door. He is the reality that every sign should point to. I assure you, as soon as I finally shut up, it may be a while, Uh, but as soon as I finally shut up today, guys are going to all get in your cars, and probably, depending on how long I go, make like a beeline to a restaurant. And I promise you, you will not pull in the parking lot, see the sign over the restaurant, turn turn around and go home and pretend you're full. Why? Because it points to a reality. And so all of that is going to continually point to him. Number three, we're to live in abundance. We talked about that, we're to be those that give, uh, uh, and it's, it's out of everything we to give and we are to give. Do you realize that we are the only God created every single thing, everything to give because it's his nature. He created everything within the legal bounds of his nature. So everything he created gives the sun gives light, the, the leaves, give oxygen. I mean, everything in creation yields itself to give something. We're the only ones within creation to have a choice. Thing was created with that capacity we were the only ones that were created with the choice. It's all His nature. It's all who He is because God so loved the world that He, that's who He is. It's just what He does. That's how we can say Reckless Love. And people get real wound up. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's a huge movement to change the lyrics to Reckless Love. You guys heard about this? People are really Uh, songs, and for a song like uh, How He Loves, for people to accept it in church, they had to change sloppy wet kiss to unforeseen kiss, because sloppy wet kiss sounds a little too weird to be speaking to God. Keeping in mind, it never says God gives you a sloppy wet kiss. It says when heaven meets earth, like a sloppy wet kiss. And I don't know if you've ever felt heaven meet earth. It's not very clean. You probably look pretty sloppy. So in the same way, we're singing reckless love. It's not saying God is reckless. It's saying that He gives His love without any concern about it being retributory back to Him. He gives His love recklessly because He gives it without concern of reward. The point isn't that He's reckless. Our God is not reckless. The point is that recklessly and with abandonment, He will give out of Himself because it's His nature to give, and He does it without any concern for what it will do for Him. I've heard it said many times before, the measure of our sacrifice is when we do things for individuals who can do nothing for us. So much of our giving, even of our time and our conversation, sometimes is self-serving because you kind of put that in the back of your mind and go, well, you know, that person's got some power, that favor. You find that in the business world all the time. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Real giving, real giving comes out of a true measure of generosity that says, I'm doing this and I can do it for the individual that can do nothing. The next thing we find is that he is rewilding. Us to be identified by our issue. So much of what we have experienced is the world and the church telling us we are what our problem is, and that in some ways that that action of issue causes walls to be built around us or fences to be built around us that then begin to box in. Who we are and subsequently what you can do because all of your function is directly related to your identity. So you will never be able to function past who you see yourself as being. Okay? You will never be able to be mobilized and functional past who you see yourself as being. Aside from instances where you know, the the, the power of God just overwhelms you, which we've all had those moments where it's like, okay, you get that. But let's be honest, that's not a very healthy way to live. Sometimes I can cook a good meal, but don't plan on living off of what I'm making. Don't plan on it sustaining you, I can promise you that. So, this morning we're going to talk about Zacchaeus, and it's kind of a part two from last Sunday's message um, about the the ways that we've allowed names, religion to name and identify who we are in, it has been a misappropriation of what we're supposed to be. I'm going to read some of to you. He is teaching us how to build for where we are going, not where we are. Why? Because if we try to build in response to what's happening at that moment or what's happening around us, by the time we have built it, it will not be relevant to what was relevant when we started building. The church has been really, really good at responding to be relevant. However, by the time we finish building, it won't be relevant anymore. So he's actually teaching us and giving us a permission to step past what is acceptable, what is popular, what is um, considered conformity so that we doesn't finish weeks or years after he's already moved forward. Hear what I'm saying. I want to be one who builds a temple that he wants to inhabit, not tries to build a shrine of where he's already been. The church has got to get off the bandwagon of memorializing and building idols Start constructing tabernacles that will welcome him to rest in his eye. And we so frequently build in response. We wait for God to do something and then we act and we think, and then we try to come up with formulas that will make it work. What God is saying is, He is moving us into this thing called deconstruction so that we can understand. Reformation, reformation, reformation is not cynicism. We have to be really careful. If I can tell you, one of the hardest things for me to do is to always make sure that everything we talk about is never coming from a heart of cynicism towards the church, towards the world, towards anything of the past. We can't be that way. For be a, a critical spirit will literally stop in its tracks. What God's doing, but we also have to be able and willing to be a voice of Of reformation, like John the Baptist, who is willing to be in the wilderness alone trying to prepare you the way. So, and and let's be real, real honest Jesus didn't exactly mince words with the Pharisees. Woe unto you, hypocrites. That's nice. And then he's like, Oh, you think that's bad? I think you guys are whitened sepulchres full of dead men's bones. With the halo. White Jesus with the halo. He used all kinds of really colorful language. That's just amazing. In the night, or excuse me, that's why in the eighteen hundreds, when the church started adopting rapture theology, we started saying we need to build toward what's but what's coming that we want to build for is the rapture. If we Think about this. If we need to build for where we are going, and the only place we think we're going is heaven, why would we invest anything into anything that would remain here? If we're supposed to be investing into what's coming, and we think the only thing that's coming is the rapture and heaven, Why would we invest anything into something that will remain here? Do you realize that the church over the last three to four hundred years has started framing everything through the lens of heaven and eternity to such a high degree that there's little to no interest for what happens on earth? That's why right now, do you realize who owns the most cattle, who owns the most business, and there was one other thing uh, in the world, the Mormon church livestock, and business to the Mormon church. Why? Because they're not worried about getting out of here. They don't subscribe to rapture theology. They're building a kingdom. Now, we recognize our kingdom isn't made with hands. However, they're building a kingdom. Do you realize how how Islam teaches that dominion is going to happen? Generation, they believe they come higher and higher and pure and pure and closer to what they believe they're supposed to achieve. And all the church does is start over every 50 or 60 years and go through the same cycle. first cousins. I have to figure it out, but that's just where I, It's kind of interesting to me. Whatever we obtain, remember this please if you don't, uh, whatever we attain through self promotion, you will have to sustain through self promotion. Whatever you obtain through self promotion, you'll have to maintain through self promotion. So what happens is, this trap of the enemy causes us to something inflated that actually has a leak. If purity is the pinnacle of our Christian success, then the rich young ruler, which we talked about as well last Sunday, demonstrated the pinnacle that gains you. Remember the rich young ruler when Jesus asked him if you kept the law in its entirety? He said yes. So by our standards, he was going to heaven and he had ascended to a a, a pinnacle of religiosity and christendom. By those standards, he was where most of us, what most of us have been taught, you're to, to strive for, the rich and ruler. Jesus said, unless you are willing to give everything, Willing to give the wealth that you have here on heaven, uh, excuse me, on earth, you'll inherit a far greater reward in heaven. That is rapture theology. What Jesus actually says if you're willing to give up the wealth. Entering about one thing: it's His presence. What is the supreme value of heaven? Him. Him. It's just him. It's not anything. It's not. Uh, there's no hocus pocus. You know, he's not got some spell. You realize that the reason there's the Bible talks about there's no uh, uh, there's no weeping or crying and there's no death and there's no sickness. It's because it can't stand in His presence. It's not because the reward of, of pain here equals no pain there. It's because wherever his presence is, it's the supreme value of the environment to such a high degree that sickness cannot stand. So why don't we, rather than try to fight through it here, the, the struggle here, to get there where we get to then inherit no weeping, why don't we try to welcome the value system of there, which is him and his presence, to here? We've been taught that the things such as purity and such as sinlessness can be attained through sin management. I taught sin management for years. Sin management was you figure out the list of what you're supposed to not do and don't do those things yet. The, the sorrier you feel about it, and the more you hate that sin, the holier you become. I remember actually being told one time by somebody that I, there was something I was struggling with. I was young and I was probably 6 years old. And I remember him telling me one time that the reason I kept struggling with that sin was because I didn't hate it enough. I hated it. So, I mean, I... I was not coming into a lifestyle of proximity, whereby I could find freedom from it, not just manage it into some restrained existence. The only measuring stick for the lifestyle he wants you to know is free indeed. That's it. That is the measuring stick. Free indeed. of sin management, it only serves to embolden our pride and empower the critical spirit that looks at others then and says, if I can figure it out, why can't you? So we teach people that they're supposed to really, really, really get good at sin management. They're supposed to really, really, really get good at restraint. And they're supposed to really get good at when they want to get mad, they just eat and just cuss inside. Because you know, as soon as a four-letter out of the book. He's got that spiritual light out just ready to go. You know? And if I'm scrolling through and my my TV lands on a movie that has the letters P, G, and then two numbers after it, names out of the book. I have no idea why PG, God says yep, go for it. And then you say thirteen and he goes, You're burning. We just do that kind of stuff. And what he says is that he wants to bring us into freedom so that sin management doesn't become our lifestyle. Because even if you do attain the pinnacle of that success, what it causes you to do is to then feel like you attained it through your own ability and devices and just empowers and emboldens the critical religious spirit that then looks down on everybody else for not doing it or causes you to fall into shame if you don't hold up to it. Why? Because you could attain it. The whole point of I'm trying to The whole point of this is that we're to be a people that learn that the most important thing for you in life is not purity; it's obedience and yieldingness. He doesn't want your purity if it doesn't come through a yielding heart. You might as. well. Wait till the live streams off, if you would, please. <laughs> Identification is the root of all function, whether righteous or unrighteous. And you have a right to question everything about you, or excuse me, everything that you believe about yourself. Oh, I'm sorry, let me read that again because I watch You have a right to question everything that you believe about yourself. That is not a secondary result of a divine encounter with proximity. You have a right to question everything you believe about yourself that does not come as a direct result of an encounter. understanding of Zacchaeus is that Zacchaeus was an individual uh, that that very much has been misidentified even in in name and in um, uh, function, I guess uh, would be the word. Um, When we talked last week, we talked about how that religion because religion doesn't understand how to properly value encounters with him religion also then doesn't understand how to correctly identify to identify things by issues. It identifies things. So you have the woman with the issue of blood who literally was able to press her way in to touch the garment of Jesus and be healed and we still call her the woman with the issue of blood. Blind Bartimaeus walked away healed and proclaiming the kingdom and we still call him Blind Bartimaeus. Why? Because religion does not properly value our encounter to such a degree that it allows us to be re-identified by who he really says we are. You get in his presence, he touches you, begins to speak to you, but the rest of the world is still calling you whatever it is they've been calling you for years. And you keep listening to it, and you keep calling yourself that, and that's why we don't allow encounter to re-identify or supposed to be. So what happens then is we get an individual like Zacchaeus, and I. most of you have been around church for any period of time. Right now, if I ask you, what's the Zacchaeus song, what would you say? Zacchaeus was a, and a, right. How is it possible that we have read this story? Stature. How is it possible that the thing the church walked away from in this story is his height? The two things most of you can tell me about Zacchaeus is how tall he was, and that he was a tax collector who was defrauding. Him. Jesus feasted with. Told, uh, told me that what you would have people taking pictures. I saw a lady, this lady had been like three years old the other day. Posted a picture on Facebook. It was her holding a pistol, her Bible, and had an American flag draped right over her shoulders. And she's not that far off from how we all been American nationalism has so been indoctrinated the way we see the Bible, that you realize right now there are 17 to 20 different church growth methods, and none of them, zero, are based on the book of Acts. Zero. Why? Because what they did is, they started looking at American companies that thrive, like Starbucks, started building how churches should grow around a successful model that worked. And at best, it becomes a successful business. But it's never, ever authorized to broker heaven into earth. And so, it is never that church growth is wrong. That's not the point. What the point is that that is so far beneath what he intends that it's like saying that the reward of walking with God is that you'll always have plenty of money. That's fine, but that's so far beneath. Look, you can have my bank account. I want blind eyes to open up. You can have all of the money that I could possibly obtain in in everything going perfect and walking with Jesus and, and everything else. have that if my shadow makes people get up who couldn't walk. But because we've misvalued things, we allow the rich young ruler that Jesus actually says, that technically speaking, I would suggest that he's actually not the rich young ruler, he's the poor young slave. He was a slave to the systemic nature that said money and success meant you had arrived. And unfortunately, within the church, it's the same thing. Big church and doing well and you've arrived. And that systemic nature, while money isn't wrong, because then we, then we go the other turn and we say that money's wrong. Money's not wrong in the same way that big churches aren't wrong. But trusting in your money is wrong in the same way that if you want to your church to grow and the sign that it points to is church growth and not the sign of pointing to who he is, then it's wrong. So what, he, what we find with Zacchaeus is we've so misvalued this that not only do we take this incredible encounter that Jesus says, I'm going to feast with you today. Jesus. What we have to understand is the way Jesus values things, is just different. So he comes to is, Oh, and by the way, I would like to suggest to you the only difference between the guy who had 2,000 demons that got free and everybody else. Righteousness. This guy, everything was laid out there. there. His issue was right out in the open. Most of us, it's in here. We just dress it up. In. And so the only thing that separated that as as not only you read about this little thing about Zacchaeus, and then we sing these little songs, and we had, anybody remember the flannel board, the graphs We'd have in Children's Church, right? we put up the pictures of, we have Zacchaeus, and it was, you know, he'd have the tree, and Zacchaeus is this tall, and everybody else is this tall, you know? Uh, and um, because, you know, he's a wee little man, and I don't know if he went wee, wee, wee all the way home, but uh, he, was, he was a wee little man, and so that's how we interpret who he was. Well, do you realize Ago, it was believed by all of the early church fathers that this guy named Zacchaeus was an uh, a different, or found by a different name in the New Testament. The name Matthias. Matthias is the individual that, after Judas killed himself, that the disciples, the eleven disciples, elected to become the twelfth apostle and disciple. That was Zacchaeus. westernized culture, we've decided that it's much more fun because probably it makes us feel better because what we've been taught is I'm going to live up to this standard, so we use coping devices to deal with shame rather than being free and empowering people from failure. So we put coping devices in place whereby it's much easier for us if I can say, I'm not as bad as this guy. So we would much rather see Zacchaeus As a wee little man and a crook because it makes us feel better about our deficiencies and helps us cope with shame because religion has taught us that our failure equals shame. Actually, one of the primary things I'm supposed to tell you all today is failure is an impossibility if you will not stop chasing him. If you don't stop chasing him, I'm here to tell you failure is impossible. There, we're going to call to a group of people who have been told that they failed, and we're actually going to speak to people who have been shamed, who have been rejected, who have been cast out, and who have been told that either they conform to the the idea of um, uh, um, what it's supposed to look like, the formula, if you will, or that they. the value system of what it means to be successful as a Christian has also then empowered us to say really, really dumb stuff like, love the sinner, hate the sin. What? Why do we even need to say that? I'm not saying that that's not true, but it seems like to me that nine times out of ten the the people that are saying love the sinner, hate the sin are not being very nice to the people who are sinning. They're the same people telling them they're going to justified in our attack of somebody who probably knows they're going to hell. I'm just being honest. If you're wrong, you probably know you're wrong. I've never been in bitterness and not known I was in bitterness. I've never been angry with God and not known I was angry with God. I mean, it's just reality. I've never been in shame and not known I was in shame. I mean, you know it. So what good does the church, oh, by the way, just in case you know, we're, Good okay. job. So, these are guys that were, like, alive when the disciples were alive. These guys actually taught, you can find this, this is on the, the World Wide Web, you can find it, okay? Uh, but, but they actually taught that it wasn't that they were suggesting about it could thing have been it's who it was. And they actually said that Jesus, the disciples believed that the encounter that Jesus had with Zacchaeus was so important to Jesus that, Knew on that day that he was going to be the twelfth disciple. That the disciples so valued this encounter with Zacchaeus and Jesus' encounter with him and Zacchaeus' reaction. I probably should say that. The encounter on both sides. That the disciples put such a high value in that when they decided to fill that twelfth spot, they said, hey, I think that Zacchaeus guy is the guy. So, Luke chapter 19, verse 1. And Jesus entered in pastor Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, which is tax collectors. He was very rich, and he sought to see Jesus, uh, who he was, and could not for the press because he was of little stature. He ran before, climbed into a sycamore tree, which just put a little note there in your mind that sycamore tree is actually a fig tree. note there, that the, the translation there, a, of, a fig tree is a type of sycamore tree um, at, in the culture. So I'm not, I'm not disputing the Bible, but I'm just saying, if you go and look at the original language, it's actually a fig tree. Um, uh, he climbed into the fig tree, and when Jesus came into place, this is verse 5, um, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide in O oh Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore unto him for the Jesus said unto him, This day is thy salvation come to thy house. For so much is also he a son of Abraham, for the son of man is coming to seek and save that which is lost. So to parse through the, the King James ease of this, so a couple of things that we have to understand. Number one, Zacchaeus, it's very important that he identifies Zacchaeus was actually a full-blooded Jew, so this was not—he was not of Roman descent. He, he wasn't—he um, wasn't somebody who. Had Zacchaeus, they would choose the Roman things that are really vital. Number one is that Zacchaeus was in Jericho. Now, this is a like two-hour teaching, not this, but this aspect is like a two-hour teaching. So I'm going to give a very, very close just snapshot snapshot of this. And when you have time, please go look at this and we'll probably talk about it sometime. But Jericho, everybody knows the story of the walls of Jericho, Jericho was destroyed by God. There was a That said, woe unto the man that would rebuild the city of Jericho. The man that does that, he will bury his firstborn when he starts the construction and his youngest when he hangs the gates. This, there was this, this prophetic word. This was the, the condemnation over Jericho. And what happened was, you find this fulfilled by a guy named Haziel that literally when he started Construction, one of his children died, and when he finished construction, his second child died. And he actually knew the prophets, or knew the prophetic word. Now, I don't want to go here very far because I could really, really, really spend some time. If there was a soapbox here, I'd be. If I thought the rapture was coming coming tomorrow, like they all tell you it is, I wouldn't be here at church today. I'd be out there trying to get people saved. I mean, honestly, what I want to look at some of these people that tell you the rapture is coming here, uh, come tomorrow, is why are you talking to me then? If I really thought the rapture was tomorrow, I'd be beating down every door. I would be telling everybody that I could. The last person I talked to was Christian. Why? Because I'd want to do everything I could to get everybody saved. The rapture's happened in right around the corner. He's taking us out of here and we do that because we've also been taught that all of the things that we endure on this earth, oh, if you can just hold on, but for the morrow, good friend. If you keep an eye to the eastern sky, his lips are on the trunk. When you hear somebody say the rapture's coming tomorrow, if it does not give you pause, it should, because the Bible says no man knows. Immediately, immediately get concerned because the thing I'm watching for is not for for the world to get real bad. I'm looking for the bride to get really pure because that's what he's coming back. To. When the bride gets ready, the bridegroom will appear. So believe me, when the bride starts looking good, I'll start getting excited. But at the moment, he's not bride that's some jigsaw puzzle he has to put back together on his way back to heaven with him. He doesn't want to have to lay hands on her and pray that she get healed halfway there. So, when we see these things, what we have to understand is that Jesus in the midst of this is dealing with an individual, Zacchaeus, who is a, um, uh, is a direct result of the environment that he exists in. Because Jericho represented this curse that said somebody had put above generational legacy, above developing and establishing the kingdom, above what God was wanting to do, uh, generation after generation. What does he even say? How does God define his faithfulness? My faithfulness is from generation to generation. His mercy, his goodness, and his faithfulness are all three described in the scripture as being generation to generation. Then why is it we think that we want to get every drop of it from me. You realize that God told Abraham that he was going to be the father of many nations, and he died with two kids, and 50% of them were, were not supposed to be there. though he never owned a square inch of the promised land, the fact that God had given him the promised land, he was going to fulfill because God was faithful generation to generation. And it's not my goal that my that our young ones have to start over and fight the same fights that I fought. It's my goal that they can stand on the shoulders of where I've come, that my floor become or my ceiling becomes their floor and they can go higher. And the church has for years and years said, I'm going to sacrifice being the father of my household to be the pastor of this church. And honestly, there are anemic churches primarily because of the fact that that pastor has an anemic family dynamic. If you think God's going to bless your ministry when you're not doing what you're supposed to do in your home, you're mistaken. Actually, the Bible says if the husband isn't what he's supposed to be over his wife, meaning in partnership and covering with his wife, it actually hinders his prayers. What do you think it does for the leaders of our churches? And yet, church success model tells you work more. What? What is the best thing I can give my kids? Is a very comfortable life. What well, the best things you can give your kids? Is like we're seeing our three-year-olds where when somebody's sick, they don't have to be told to lay hands. They just assume the right thing to do is lay hands and know that 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 person's going to be healed. Why? Because it's normal. It's normal for them. How do we get it to where we don't, I don't want them to have to shake off, what I have to shake off to get to where I am. So what we're finding is that, that first of all, Zacchaeus lived in Jericho, which is a place under a curse that didn't understand generational legacy. He was literally overcome by the environment that he was in rather than overcoming the environment. And what we have to be is we have to understand that for us to get where we're going, a lot of times we're going to have to just really deal with the fact that sometimes environments keep us down rather than us changing the What have you been living under as a curse and dealing with it when you were called to cause that thing to be lifted and freedom to come to that environment? Zacchaeus was supposed to break the curse, not live under it. There's a few things about this that I think are interesting when you compare the fact that you have Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler. Right after one another in stories with Jesus, you've got the rich and ruler who comes to Jesus. Both these guys are wealthy, right? And isn't it interesting? This is just me talking. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, when he's dealing with the rich and ruler, tells him to give everything? Everything. Verses later, Zacchaeus shows up, and Jesus doesn't ask him to give anything. Which one of those guys? from or don't need it all That Jesus could verses of can you imagine being the disciples standing around Jesus and this this rich young ruler who's done everything right? I, I can't I cannot suggest this enough. The fact that this guy was the, the perfect version of a Christian. He had Caleb on all five of his presets in his car or chariot. Okay? I mean, he did everything right. He had a Bible on every coffee table, and none of them were dusty. said, you are incapable and not licensed or permitted to welcome heaven because of where your trust is. And yet this other guy, and Jesus says, but if you're willing to give everything that you have, then that will change where your trust is. Honestly, my opinion, this is total suggestion. This is not fact. My opinion is The same thing that Jesus ended up doing with Zacchaeus, where he became Matthias, that was the 12th disciple, I think he was offering it to the rich young ruler. I think he was supposed to be the 12th disciple. It's essentially the same conversation. It really is the same conversation, because what Jesus asked the rich young ruler is, where's your heart? It's always about lordship. Where's your heart? Yeah, you've done all these things, in fact, isn't it interesting that he refers to Jesus as good teacher? And Jesus, is, Jesus responds and says, okay, you call me good teacher. So he starts to ask him about the law. But then Jesus turns and says, but as God, theos, I say, take everything you have and give it to the poor. Why? Because what he was coming to Jesus was in a legalistic sense as a teacher and as a rabbi in the law saying, I've been at a And Jesus said, Unless your trust is in me, you're never going to see Lazarus walk out of the kingdom. Then he turns to Zacchaeus moments later and calls him down from the tree and says, I'm going to feast with you and I'm not going to ask you to do anything because as soon as you have. Encounter with his face will always be all that it takes for you to give to everything. In there. The only difference between Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler is the awareness of the adequacy of the encounter, the value of the encounter. The value of the encounter that Zacchaeus he valued it so high that he said, personally, no, there is no price to high." Is that he was willing to run in. So what we have to remember is the crowd of people, I'm going to try to take pictures as best as I can for you. The crowd of people is here with Jesus. Zachary. from behind. In the Spirit, do you realize that nine times out of ten when I pray for people, in the Spirit for healing, what I'm actually dealing with is wounds on their back. What's that usually of? Friendly fire. You don't get wounds in your back unless you're ahead of comfortable and good with you, pass them. Pass them. See how they feel. The reality of it is that in many ways, how would would the church not say, don't you realize Jesus is right here? Why are you going up there? He's right here. Because what he said is, I'm unwilling to see, I'm going to use an old testament quote here, but I'm unwilling to just stay face, I need an encounter I'm not going to stay back here and be content with just seeing him from afar through the crowd, I have to find him and what that forces you to do is it's going to force you to run off away from the pack and it's going to automatically cause you to have to make a decision you can't run ahead and then tell God that you want to bring everybody from behind It is illegal to expect to experience what you've never experienced while demanding to maintain your current status both geographically and relationally. Here's what I mean by that. It is illegal for us to expect to experience things in him that we've never experienced, but tell him that we want to experience those things in the same complacent place that we've always been. Zacchaeus wasn't going to get the encounter. Here in the group, it requires us to move past. It requires for us to chase. But the challenge is that people don't like being passed. Oftentimes, so uh, I've, those of you that have with me know that when I'm on the interstate, I tend to, to drive a little bit quicker. And technically speaking, if you would ask me how fast do I drive on the interstate, my answer would just be fast speed limit, is te- to me, is just technically three miles an hour faster than the other people. That's, that's the way it works. And in my, I mean, I, I, you know, the idea of this is, you know, you're just cruising, I and mean, you know, believe me when I tell you, when you're cruising along in the interstate, you want to see people start getting frustrated for no reason? Absolutely. People will give you weird looks just for driving by by them. I'm like, hey, this has nothing to do with you. I've not encumbered your trip at all. Why are you giving me the bird? I literally am just driving past you. And in my opinion, it makes perfect sense. You've given me two lanes, and you put me in a fast car. We're racing. You may not understand that we're racing, but you've painted lines and put me in something that goes fast. We're racing. And it's my job if, if somehow the Google Maps tells me it's going to be seven hours. If I can't trim 10% off of that, then I shouldn't be driving and in my, in my mind, if I can't trim 10% off of that, then I've never peed in a Gatorade bottle so I don't have to stop at a bathroom. Ten, hey, 10% is 10%. You want to see people get mad? Pass them. It's no different in the spirit. Surround yourself with people who will empower you when you pass them. Surround yourself with people who won't draw from your momentum but will empower your progression. That's the goal. That is the responsibility of this house. How do we be a people that will surround ourselves with others that will continue to empower I don't care if you're back here. I don't care if you're up here. I want to empower your forward progression. And how can I do this in a way that ends up driving you forward even if you go past me in the process? But there's going to be something that we've got to number one figure out. It is illegal for you to say, I want to go places I've never been before you, Lord, but you've got to do it while I stand right here. in the in the family, in the physical location, where you're planted and moving upon you, but it is illegal for you to demand it. And so oftentimes, we ask God to encounter us in a way that we've never experienced, but we ask him to do it in a way that we're comfortable with him doing it in the place he's always done it before, where we don't have to feel uncomfortable. That's an illegal request. The next thing about Zacchaeus is that he climbs up the tree, and he... He decides that religion empowers you to move laterally. They have. How many times have you been told in church before, you're to go further than you've ever been before? All that does is promote restlessness. I'd like to suggest to you that 90% of the way I was taught that I needed to grow in God— Because I was always searching for something further, trying to go further and further and further. This new thing, this new thing, this new thing, this new thing. What he teaches is not that you go this way, but that you go this way. In the economy of God, the only way you go further is to go higher. And in going higher, you're coming into him. So it becomes the circular vortex. You go up, and you go up, and you go up, and you go up. And that's the only way that we actually are permitted to go further. But if we simply, you're on this plateau, and then you just go further like this, well, you're not actually going from glory to glory to glory to glory. So what it does is it creates restlessness that we just think it's this lateral journey, and we aren't actually growing emotionally at all. We aren't actually having things dealt with so that we're more whole, we're actually just learning a new thing, and 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 learning a new thing. And, new thing. and it is my contention that that I'm going to use the word illumination and revelation, but teaching will only be permitted to bring you from this to this to this. Encounter always takes you here to here to here. However, teaching and revelation, insights, understanding, they, they feel good because it moves you forward. It fools you into thinking you've come here. It fools gold because you have a new understanding, a new terrain, a new feeling. So it feels new and you feel like you've accomplished something, but you've come no, no further because it's not permitted for you to broker any measure of his presence because you've not gained anything in a glory. Only when you gain something in glory do you then have Broker what you gained into this natural reality. That's what I'm Only what you attain in ascension are you then permitted to broker. Church for 50 years and has never allowed God to do They go lots and lots of sermons, and they feel good for that thing if they don't actually have an authority to work with last. We're finishing up. Jesus then called him face to face. And this is this is an interesting thing. We have spend a lot of time, we just don't have um, on this. But this is the in him dimension. See, climbing the fig tree, scripturally speaking, of the Jews, the fig tree always spoke of devotion. The fig is devotion to them. So think about as an example when Jesus cursed the fig tree for not blooming out of season or blossoming out of season. Why? Because in devotional wonder and proximity you never have a season in which you aren't being fruitful. What I was always taught that it was about faith. In fact, I was given the acronym, faith in big one. That's what I was taught. It's all about big, faith, in God. Well, that sounds really nice and probably looks really, really good in some of the video presentations that you're But if you look at culturally, the big always represented relationship and devotion. That's why Jesus wasn't impetuous when he cursed the tree and always this fig representing that to them. That's why Zacchaeus, oh, here's another example. That's why Nathaniel, when he spoke to Jesus saw him prophetically and said, I saw you in devotion under the fig tree. Why? Because he was speaking to the fact that he, Jesus saw him in that devotional place where his heart was, and that's what caused him to be voted saying, He I saw your heart. So, when Zacchaeus finds the fig tree, the point of that is it, there's, there's an ascent to devotion and it's not about understanding, it's about wonder. One of the things that I think we've lost so much in our current day church is we've lost wonder, we've lost what it means to be in awe of who he is and just desire it's almost like childlike wonder that just says, I don't care what the gift is. Been at work all day, and they're not expecting a present. I just want you to pull me up on your lap. That's the thing. And so we've come so far in our educational gospel that we think it's about intellectualism to such a degree that I need to understand more, I need to know more, I've got to have this spiritual IQ. And he says, No, I don't want you to have any spiritual IQ. I just want you to be someone who's willing to climb the tree of devotional wonder so that you. So then Jesus calls him down from face-to-face face encounter. This is one of the hardest points because what happens oftentimes is when he calls you down into face-to-face face encounter, it can feel like you're stepping away from a high place. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes when we've climbed and we come up to this place and we've kind of discerned, To face. Do you realize that in the Old Testament, that there is no word for presence? The word for presence is mouth to mouth. What's the point? The point is that we've made the presence an it. Did you feel it? We've made the presence an it that is a secondary consequence of God being presence is Him. It's just Him. That's why there's no, you realize that there's no like a little bit of presence or a lot of presence? This is really going to mess with you. You realize that there's no little bit of His presence in a room or a lot of His presence in a room in the same way that there can't be a little bit of me here with you or a lot of me. shows up in the room and it's never been an it it's always been an in him it's always been a him the presence of god is him in the room and so because we know he in the room will not withhold anything from you he doesn't hold anything back we can know that at every time whether we feel this much or this much he's giving us his everything because he's there What we feel is irrelevant to the equation. He's there as a hundred percent of himself every time. If that doesn't mess you up, you don't get it. Because I've been taught that I need to seek for a greater outpouring of presence. That's an insult to the one who is the presence. He is the it. So from this even here. I'm closing. Uh, from this place, we've actually inherited for the first time in, at least that I've seen in my life, people bringing their individual encounters into a corporate environment. What I mean is that for years before this church, year, many years ago, I always would tell people, okay, you need to make sure that what you experience on Sunday morning, that when you're screaming and shouting, you know, when you went to the enemy's camp and you done took it back in Jesus' name, when you get done with that, you better be able to walk it at home. The same encounter that you're experiencing here, corporately you've experienced at home, right? We've said that before. You? you walk it out. In fact, Pastor Phil used to say, it's not how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when the are What happens corporately when we all get together because we have revival and, and you know somebody gets the spirit and does a chicken dance and somebody gets the spirit and runs around the room and um, you know maybe somebody's wig falls off and whatever happens in that environment, some of you guys have no idea what you do up but I'm telling you, it is it is a wild wild thing to think of things that we've seen. So within that, what we have said is, how do I get back to become my daily life in the last fifteen? It's been the opposite. We've experienced high level of individual encounter, but we've had trouble bringing that into corporate environments. And what we actually saw is, first of all, it's just because it's good that he's done this, but as really the thing that changed that was honor. I can genuinely say that to the best of my grasp, and I. I that was a culture of honor. The culture of honor allowed us to honor what each other was individually and allowed that then to be accessed corporately. And so now we're actually seeing for the first time in my life ever a, a outpourings corporately that more closely reflect what we were encountering individually. This is is the way that I'm seeing this, is that we're for the first time ever seeing the fulfillment of if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. What we're actually finding is that we're living in a life... Shaking and weeping and feeling overcome with his presence for no apparent. this Thank you. to pay a price and then not reward us for our willingness to surrender. And so part of this is an access of that and part of this is a call to everyone who has Thank you for listening to this message from Harvest House Church. For more information, find us online at harvesthouse.org.